GQ Magazine recently posted an article that included the Bible as one of 21 books that you don't have to read. How do we respond to this erroneous charge in a winsome yet logical fashion? Find out today on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and this is your host uh, for the time we have together, yours truly, Brian Chilton. And we want to remind you that the Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of BellatorChristie.com. We do encourage you to uh, go to the website, and while you're there, uh, we ask that you, if you would, uh, think about subscribing to the website. And by so doing, you'll receive all of the articles and the inserts, uh, excuse me, inserts, <laughs> all the articles uh, to the podcast as well as uh, links to the pod, all the articles. <laughs> Let me start this over. All right, you'll receive all of the articles and links to the podcast as they become available, and you'll receive them in your inbox. And the best part of it all is it's absolutely free. Maybe third time's a charm here. I was actually in the process of doing something with the mixer while trying to say that as well. Uh, So it came out as it did. So live and learn. All right. But anyhow... uh, I uh, do want to thank you again for joining us. Do uh, want to let you know about too that the uh, podcast is available on several apps. Uh, we're available on uh, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, as well as iTunes. So we do uh, ask if you will uh, consider taking us with you on the go uh, wherever you may be. So again, we thank you for joining us on today's podcast. Uh, we did have originally planned. Uh, an interview with uh, Dr. Dan Merritt, who is the Director of Missions for the Surrey Baptist Association. Uh, we will have to postpone his interview. He had a conflict in schedule uh, of schedule today, so uh, we'll have to postpone that probably a couple of weeks out. We have a very special guest coming with us next week. Uh, we're going to have uh, Lydia McGrew, uh, who is a uh, very in, who's very influential in the apologetic world. She's going to share some information about a book that she's written, and that'll be coming up next week. Uh, we have that down for May the 4th, so uh, uh, be, be much in prayer for her as she comes on the podcast and as we discuss uh, different issues coming up on the Bellator Christie podcast. That's again next week. Today I want to spend a little bit of time with you talking about and addressing uh, a very controversial article that came out uh, not too long ago by GQ Magazine. 
and uh, we're going to. Uh, I want to take. I want to look over the magazine. I'm going to also play a um, uh, an a a. Uh, I'm trying to get the web. I'm trying to get the magazine to come up as we're looking. So I've got three or four things going on at one time. So that's if I see them sound a little off today. That's the reason. Uh, but um, anyhow, we're going to play a clip. Uh, from Fox News describing the controversy surrounding this article, and then we hope to have this uh, article up, and then I want to give a few responses uh, to the article and the claims that it makes. So let's first of all listen to the clip uh, as it is presented on Fox News concerning this issue. religious text in existence detailing the relationship and moral code between God and man. But according to GQ magazine, the Bible is among the most overrated books of all time. Hmm. The magazine's writers <laughs> say this, quote, the Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who actually have not read it. Those who have read it know there are some good parts, but overall, it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. It is repetitive, self-contradictory, I don't even know the word, sententious, foolish, and even at times ill-intentioned. Well, right after that, he was hit with lightning. Here to react, Fox <laughs> News religion contributor, Father Jonathan Morris. What, what say you? Well, you know what's interesting is when I first saw this, I thought this might be just a columnist who was trying to do it, you know, make a sensationalist um, column in order to get attention. But this turns out, these are, this is the editors of GQ magazine who wrote this. Hmm. This is the editors, which means the magazine is going on record saying, this is what we believe. Yeah. And it's just, to use their language, foolish. And just even if you don't believe that this is an inspired word of God, in 50, the last 50 years, 3.9 billion people have read this book. 3.9 billion Bibles have been published. That dwarfs every other book that has been read in the last 50 years. Now, in this is the last 50 years, this, this Bible is almost 2,000 years old, or 1,700 years old. So it's just foolish, and um, it's a shame. What do you what think their motivation is behind that? Why, why would they come together and say, you know what, this is, this is a good thing to write for our readers? Well, what they did is they, they took 21 books that they, they think should be digitally burned, okay, which doesn't sound like a, a, a very hip thing, right? But 21, and they threw out a lot of the best books of Western civilization. And so I think what they're trying to do is say, um, hey, listen, we need to go a very different direction. We've already thrown the Bible out of schools. Okay, so that's uh, coming from Fox News concerning the, um, the, the GQ magazine. I apologize. We've got uh, clocks going off. Uh, I need to take the batteries out of these things. They go off so much every time I try to uh, have a podcast, uh, they go off. I want to um, look through uh, some of the claims uh, that uh, GQ magazine made. And I want to give a response uh, to this in, in, again, a winsome fashion. I, I don't want to attack them. I, th I think that um, their claims are, um, are ill-advised. Ill I don't think there are any truths found. Uh, I, I, don't think that I don't think that they're right in what they say. And so I, I want to go back and I want to look at some of the things that they say. I, let me first give, just, just, to, just to be respectful to them, because I, none of us want to be um, 
misrepresented. Let's go back to the magazine article, and you can find this over at uh, www.gq.com forward slash story forward slash the numbers 21 uh, dash books dash you book uh, dash don't dash half dash to ha- uh, dash read. So the article is 21 books you don't have to read. And... Um, uh, and then they said, and 21 you should read instead, technically 20 books, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn didn't fare well. This is written by, um, uh, well, several contributors. Well, see, it looks like here it's by maybe, uh, the photograph is by Ryan Segetti. I was trying to see who the writer of this is. I guess it is by the editors of GQ Magazine. Oh, yeah, it says that. By the editors of GQ Magazine, published April 19th of 2018. And according to this article, they are... Um, let me just read what they say. We've all been told, and this this is coming from the article itself, we've all been told our, all our lives that we can only call ourselves well-read once we've read the great books. We tried. We got halfway through Infinite Jest and halfway through the Spark Notes on Finnegan's Wake. But a few pages into Bleak House, we realized that not all the great books have aged well. Some are racist and some are sexist, and most are just really, really boring. So they say. So we and a group of unboring writers give you permission to strike these books from the canon. Here's what you should read instead. So on all of these books, they're going to... Strike one of the book in the Bible is one of those books that, in their opinion, you should strike. And what they replace it with is really bizarre. Uh, so uh, here's their list. And I'm going to go through the entire list before coming back to the Bible. They say that you should strike Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurdy off your list and read instead The Mountain Lion by Gene Stafford. Okay, and so that's the first one. The second one, The Catcher in the Rye, which is a... Um, a classic, um, <laughs> well, I'll just leave it there, but they, they don't want you to read The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger, uh, but instead read Olivia, a novel by Dorothy Strachey, I guess that's how you say her name, uh, Say Goodbye to Goodbye All That, uh, to Goodbye to All That by Robert Graves, and instead read, they, incl- they say, Dispatches by Michael Herr. Uh, they say to bid adieu to the old man and the sea by Ernest Hemingway, and that is quite a uh, major uh, <laughs> or a bold uh, thing for them to do to to get rid of some of Hemingway's works, uh, which is is really surprising to me, quite honestly. But instead, they say read uh, the summer book by Tove Jansen. Okay, the Alchemist. Uh, they say do away with it by Paul uh, Coelho, and say uh, instead read Near to the Heart, Wild Heart by Claire uh, Lispector. Okay, um, bid farewell to a farewell to arms. Again, another Ernest Hemingway book. They uh, want you to rid yourself of, and instead read The Great Fire by Shirley Hazard. Uh, do away with they said the Blood Meriden by Cormac McCarthy, and instead read the book Sisters Brothers by Michael Dewitt or uh, Patrick Dewitt, excuse me. Say goodbye to John Adams by Michael McCullough, instead read they suggest Destiny of the Republic, a tale of madness, medicine, and the murder of a president by Candace Miller. Again, another shock here. They say to get rid of Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. Um. 
very odd, very odd. Instead, they suggest reading the narrative of a life of Frederick Douglass, an American slave by Frederick Douglass. I think that would be a good book, too, but I'm surprised that they just say do away with Huckleberry Finn. Very odd, indeed. Um, do away with the ambassadors, they claim, by Henry James. Instead, of, instead, read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich by William L. Shirer. Uh, very odd. Okay, and then here, here's the controversial part. Do away, they say, with the Bible, and instead read The Notebook by Agoda Kristoff. And I want to read this section. Well, let me just come back to this section after I read the entire list. Uh, very, very odd indeed. Then they also say, Do Away with Franny and Zooey by J.D. Salinger. Uh, read instead, Death Comes uh, for the Archbishop. And I'm going to do away with the names here. I'm just going to read the titles. Here again, this is mind-numbingly absurd that they would say to do away with this book. But they said, uh, Don't Read the Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> I think for many of my literary literature friends out there, they would be just as offended, perhaps, by doing by the suggestion that no one should read Lord of the Rings as they would the Bible. I mean, the Bible would hold uh, more offense to them, I'm sure. But the Lord of the Rings, my goodness, that is that is mind-numbingly absurd to say that no one should read this book. Instead, they say that you should read Earth Sea, the Earth Sea series by Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, okay, don't read. They say Brand, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I've always thought was a classic. Uh, but they said instead read Angels by Dennis Johnson. Okay. Uh, Catch twenty two. Don't read that. They said by Joseph Heller. Instead read the American Granddaughter. Uh, then Life by Keith Richards. They said, don't read that. Uh, then uh, the memoirs of uh, Keith Richards. Instead, read The Worst Journey in the World. Okay, they say, do away with uh, Freedom, the book Freedom by Jonathan Franzen. Instead, read Too Loud a Solitude. Uh, do away with Gravity's Rainbow. Instead, read Inherent Vice, according to this uh, article. Re do away with Slaughterhouse and read Veronica instead. Do away with Gulliver's Travels. Again, I am just shocked here. They are not only um, uh, dis dissing the Bible, they are dissing some very major classics, major classics of literature. But instead, read The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy Gentleman by Lawrence uh, Stern. Okay, And so that completes the list of the books, 20-some books uh, that you should not read and uh, the ones that you should read instead, according to GQ Magazine. Okay, I want to go back to this section as, uh, as they're talking about this whole issue concerning the Bible, and I want to uh, read what they say, what, what they have to say, allow them to speak for themselves, and then I'm going to go back and address some of the charges, erroneous charges they make uh, concerning the Bible. Okay, so uh, first of all, they say, this is what they say in that section. The Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it. Okay, uh, but who in actuality have not read it. Okay, that is a major claim, a bold claim that is erroneous and fallacious. Okay, um, I try to live by the Bible. And I have read it several times. Okay, uh, those who have read it know that there are some good parts to the Bible, but overall, it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. 
question I have there is based on what? Okay, this the, the editors of GQ magazine have also uh, sh shown some very questionable uh, questionable judgment already by doing away with uh, Huckleberry Finn, doing away with the Lord of the Rings, doing away with some other classics, uh, Catcher in the Rye, other classics. That's not to say that all these books are 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 uh, positive in all all the all the points, but you know the but this. <laughs> Literature is not supposed to always be unoffensive to us. It's supposed to challenge us. Okay, but I'm getting ahead of myself. There, they know that there are some good parts, but overall it is certainly not the finest thing man has ever produced. Again, based on what? It is repetitive, self-contradictory, uh, sententi sententious, uh, which means given to moralizing in a pompous or affected manner, according to Oxford Dictionary. Uh, a good example here is, uh, you could say, moralistic, moralizing, sanctimonious, self-righteous are synonyms for this word. Okay, Foolish, it says, and even at times ill-intentioned. If the thing you heard was good about the Bible, uh, if the thing you heard was good about the Bible was the nasty bits, then I propose a go to Christoph's The Notebook, I don't think this is the notebook uh, where you have the movie. At least I don't. I don't don't appear to be. Uh, not the notebook movie that you have probably seen on television about the uh, the love story between the man and the woman, and the and the woman gets Alzheimer's and and they die there in the hospital bed. I guess that was a spoiler alert that I should have let you know about before. If you haven't seen the notebook, but if you haven't seen it by now, I don't know if. You you really will, quite honestly. But uh, I go to Christoph's The Notebook is a marvelous tale of two brothers, according to GQ magazine, who have to get along when things get rough. The subtlety and cruelty of this story is like that famous sword stroke from below the boat that plunged upward through the bowels, the lungs, and the throat and into the brain of the rower, according to Jesse Ball of Census. Okay, I want to address five claims that they've made here concerning the scripture and uh, this isn't going to be a long detailed response but 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 something that uh, just some things that come to mind um, repetitive okay this is the first charge they make concerning the Bible they say that the Bible is repetitive okay first of all let me just say that I they already I think make a mistake in, in addressing the Bible as just one book. Now, the Bible is a collection of books, okay? It is not the same type of book that you see with many of these others because the Bible is a collection of 66 historical documents, 27 New Testament documents, and 49, I believe I have my number right there, uh, of, of um, Old Testament documents. Okay, there are they span history... Uh, from around 2,500 years or more, and are written, these books are written by at least 40 different individuals spanning the course of 2,500 years. So, in some cases, for instance, let me give you an example. Some cases, a person may quote from a another text that is early earlier on that was been that has been written earlier on. For instance, Jesus quotes the greatest commandments, the greatest two commandments of all time from the Old Testament, from what we would call the Old Testament, others would call the Hebrew Bible. 
in Matthew, Jesus says, when, when asked about uh, what the greatest commandments of all are, he goes back and he says the number one commandment of all, quoting Deuteronomy 6, is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your, all your soul, mind, strength. Okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So by repeating this, he's actually quoting from a, an older text. This is recorded and documented for us. Okay, and then as the teachings of Jesus, but in this teaching of Jesus, he is quoting from an earlier text, which is the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, he also says the second great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Again, a quotation from the book, this time the book of Leviticus. So he's quoting the book of Leviticus here. And so he, he, he's extracting these laws from the ancient text, which, is, which predates his time on earth. Okay, So this repetition that may happen in Scripture comes about because you have different documents written by different individuals. Now, Deuteronomy is a summarization of the laws that we find in... Uh, it, it, Deuteronomy literally means second law. It's the summarization of the laws we find earlier in the book of, of, uh, of, of Exodus and Leviticus and, and, and Numbers. It's repeated for us. Okay, So it's a retelling of the law, and it also includes blessings and curses. So I think that the fact that uh, this magazine has, has listed the Bible as being repetitive quite honestly shows a lack of, uh, of knowledge concerning the, the biblical text themselves. So I, I really find this very odd that they would, uh, would go this route in calling the Bible repetitive when the Bible is, in fact, not just one literary unit. We see, as Christians, as believers, we see the grand storylines through, through the books because we hold to the inspiration of Scripture. But we have to understand that, that uh, historically speaking, we're talking about 66 individual books found in a collection of books. So the Bible is not just one book. It is a collection of 66 books. And so therein, I think uh, they have a problem already in their assessment. Self-contradictory, I don't agree with this, as, with this at all. Uh, the, again, they have, you have to understand that the Bible is a collection of books, and we also understand that there is this thing called progressive revelation. So early on, for the people of Israel, there were these, uh, these different covenants that came about, different, different, uh, and a covenant is a contractual agreement that God has with humanity. And so you have these covenants coming along at different stages in time. And you have these old Levitical covenants that says that to be ritually pure, ceremonially pure, then you need to have these certain kosher laws. The New Testament comes along, Jesus comes along, and he sets up a new covenant as is prophesied in the book of Jeremiah. Joel also talks about this time at the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God would not just come on the high priest on the day of atonement, but would come down upon every person, the sons and daughters, both uh, poor and rich, uh, from, from, from Jew and Greek, every social economic stat status you can imagine, the Holy Spirit will come down upon those individuals who enter into this new covenant agreement. Okay, so, so that's not a contradiction. Okay, that is the law being changed or, or being um, upgraded, if you want to say that, uh, by this new covenantal agreement that has come in and through Jesus the Messiah. 
Okay, and so the other contradictions, you know, we, there are ways of working these things out. These so-called contradictions. Quite honestly, I think sometimes we see a contradiction where one doesn't really exist because we haven't taken the time to learn. You know, for instance, the the the, the times John uses one set of time, the Roman time, whereas uh, some of the other gospel writers may use the Jewish uh, system of time. You know, and that is going to have a difference. It's like uh, being in the Eastern time zone and someone talking about the Pacific time zone. There are differences. Okay. Uh, they'll, they'll be talking about the same time, but there will be differences according, you know, I'm recording this at 11 o'clock in the morning uh, here on Friday, uh, April 27th. So while it is 11 o'clock here, uh, it would be 7 o'clock in the morning, well, 7, 8, 9, no, 11, 10, 9, 8, excuse me, 8 o'clock in the morning at, uh, for our friends on the West Coast. So, um so if, if someone were to say, well, it's 8 o'clock now, and I were to say, well, it's 11 o'clock now, we're actually talking about the same moment in time, but we're, we're using different forms of, uh, of, uh, of time. I'm using the Eastern time zone. They're using the Pacific time zone. Again, we, we don't have time to go through all of this, but I think a lot of these so-called self-contradictions of Scripture can easily be worked out if we take the time to give the Bible a fair assessment. I think, we, I think you can see... That there are good reasons for believing that the Bible is uh, thoroughly united in what it tells us, and in uh, even some of the contradictions, I think we can work through those things. Quite honestly, sententious. Uh, uh, this is given to moralizing in a pompous or affected manner. This is the pot calling the kettle black. Now, first of all, I don't think the Bible at all is at all pompous because it talks about humility. In fact, it talks about pride going before a fall. It calls for humility. But uh, it seems to me, if, if you look back at this article, if you look back especially at the segment concerning the Scripture, if anything is sententious, it's the manner in which they're describing the Bible. And and they've been really sententious all throughout this list, claiming that that uh, the, the the some of these books are just not worth reading, and that you should read their list instead. I mean, that is <laughs> very pompous. This article itself is very moralistic because they have an axe to grind. The editors of GQ magazine, and they're and they're giving their own pompous uh, moralization. In this, so I really find this uh, really quite hypocritical in in their uh, <laughs> in their statement. But uh, you know, they call the Bible sententious. Uh, that is given to moraliz- moralizing in a pompous and affected manner. I don't see that at all. I think if you look at the writers of the New Testament, they are humble, as humble as they come. Jesus was. I mean, he called a, he called the uh, he called a spade a spade. And he stood up against hypocritical, or excuse me, hypocrisy among the religious elite in that day and time. But and and uh, he called for for people to be humble and to give to the poor and help those in need. And and <laughs> and, and for them, for GQ coming in a pompous manner, calling the Bible pompous, I, I think that is really it's really laughable to be honest with you. But uh, anyhow, foolish. They call the Bible foolish, I'm wondering, based on what? You see, they don't give examples as to why they think the Bible's foolish. In fact, some of the greatest minds throughout history have relied upon the Bible. 
The founders of this nation were, were individuals who had a great respect for the Bible. Even Thomas Jefferson, even though he wasn't a Christian theist, he was a deist, he still held, held a great respect for the Bible, and Benjamin Franklin as well. I think the, the you know, the... It's very odd to me that they would hold the Bible up, and, and you know why, why not say something about you know it's very if you're going to do this to the Bible, why not hold all the other religious texts up in in a, in a manner like this? Why, why only pick on the Bible? I'm surprised they didn't pick on the Quran. They didn't pick on the the uh, the Vedas, uh, the uh, the the uh, writings of the Buddha, and, and many others. But yet they're focusing on the Bible, which is very. Very odd, very odd. And by the way, I, I would, as a Christian, I would never, I would never say someone that someone should be disrespectful to the Quran or to the, to the uh, the Bhagavad Gita or or the uh, you know the Quran, the, the Bhagavad Gita or any of the ancient texts. I, I think you know th- these are these are holy. This is these are books that are held in great respect by individuals. And so, if nothing else, I would pay my respect to those individuals. I would never come down and just blatantly, openly criticize a book. I, I may call out problems that may exist in the book and uh, showing the authenticity and authority of, of Scripture. But I would never dismiss it, and I would never say, well, you should never read this because it is pompous or it is uh, foolish or it is self-contradictory or repetitive or, you know, my goodness. That's very, very odd. Um I think there's a lot of great wisdom that you can find in Scripture. You, in fact, we went through the book of Proverbs uh, recently in a Bible study, and I heard one individual said he was surprised at the relevance that we have today, uh, even today, in the book of Proverbs. I mean, it's, it's very relevant for us today as much as it was in times of antiquity. And then lastly, ill-intentioned. Ill-intentioned. Again, I, f- I find this very odd. Um, having malicious intentions, and here, here's the way it's defined by dictionary.com, having uh, in, uh, malicious intentions, an ill-intentioned criticism that was meant to hurting... Uh, let me bring this up. Uh, I lost the last part of this. Okay. Um, that was meant more, more to hurt than to help. It's an ill-intentioned criticism which is meant more to hurt than to help. Having malicious intentions. Um, I don't see that at all in the Bible. In fact, I've noted before with the earliest believers of the New Testament, the earliest Christians, they had no motive to make up the resurrection of Jesus. As I mentioned before, usually when people have, um, when they, they come up with a conspiracy or they do something, that they make up something, they usually have a motive. And it's usually generally one of three things. As J. Warner Wallace has mentioned, I, I got this information from him in his book, Cold Case Christianity. One, sex. A person may have a conspiracy so that they can, or they may uh, manipulate things so that they can have all the sex they want. You take a look at a lot of the cults that have existed in history, and normally the leaders of that cult 
will manipulate things so that they say, well, they can have as many women or men as they want, and they can have relations with as many people as they want, and nobody can tell them otherwise because they have this special anointing or special enlightenment or or they just uh, find themselves to be special so that they can sleep around as much as they want with no consequence. Okay? Do you see that in the Scripture? Do you see that with the New Testament writers? Absolutely not. These are individuals who promoted celibacy before marriage and fidelity within marriage, which they lived in a world. The Greco-Roman society was the one that uh, that promoted free sex. You know, really, a man could do anything he wanted, basically. So, so Christianity was really popular with women because, hey, this this leveled the playing ground here, you know, the playing field here. Uh, th- this this made the man faithful to the marriage. So, why would they make that up? Why would they make the resurrection up? Why would they make the teachings of Jesus? Why would they make Jesus up as a as some uh, what Michael Shermer and some individuals would would purport? It makes no sense. There's no motive there. Secondly. Uh, there's no the, there's no motive of uh, money. There's no financial um, empowerment in in the New Testament church. I mean, they they knew some individuals who uh, were of authority, but they they were going around from place to place, uh, a lot of times working odd jobs, trying to make ends meet. Paul was a tent maker. Some people were able to be pastors, but they they were pastors of several different churches, you know, and uh, and they were traveling around. You know, it wasn't like they had these big mega churches and making uh, umpteen millions of dollars or something like that. They were they were running around. They they had they gave everything they had to the church. They gave other they gave their possessions to the poor. Jesus talks about giving their possessions to the poor. They were running around. They didn't have any financial backing, and quite honestly. Most of these individuals, the fishermen, John and Peter and Andrew um, and James, not the brother of Jesus, but James the brother of John, they were fishermen, which was, was it, it wasn't going to be a, uh, a high, you know, it wasn't going to be the high-end paying job, but it was a lucrative business. You can make a decent wage at that. You can make a decent salary at fishing in ancient times. So they gave that up. You know, Paul was on the track of being the Pharisee of Pharisees, going on the track of being in the Sanhedrin, which which he would have had it made. Matthew was a tax collector making good money. They gave it up to follow Jesus. There's no motive there. And then finally, power. Did they have power? No. They were stressing and emphasizing humility. They were talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. They were talking about loving God with everything you have. And they weren't talking about them having any type of power. In fact, Jesus even says that his kingdom is not of this world. And that, and within the church, they were not to, uh, in the church leadership, they weren't to be like uh, Gentile leaders and uh, uh, ruling and reigning with an iron fist, but they were to lead by serving one another. They were to lead by love. There's no motivation for power whatsoever. So my biggest response ultimately to GQ magazine is that I think that we as the Christian body need to pray for these editors. I don't think we need to come at them with any type of aggression or anything like that, and I hope I haven't come across that way in this podcast but I think we obviously need to pray for them because they have not... I think it's quite evident that they have not done their research on the Scripture. 
they really haven't done their research as to what the Bible is all about. And they have probably taken just a um, the position of of like what many online atheist bloggers have done, what many online you know individuals who who haven't put the research in there, who who basically are spreading around things. It's it's a popular thing to say in certain circles, and so it's a it's a community thing that they're spreading along. So it's it's basically this armchair atheism that you find. You know, I think one would be better off if if you are inclined to atheism to to listen to more of Bart Ehrman or somebody like that. But the GQ magazine just does not, the editors do not show any tact whatsoever. And quite honestly, I'm really surprised, not only, I'm I'm as surprised, if not even more surprised, that they added uh, The Lord of the Rings and Huckleberry Finn and, and Catcher in the Rye. I'm really surprised they added some of these classics on there as much as I am the scripture, and of course, you know, with them having most likely the the atheist overtone or undercurrent that behind their writings, you know, I, I guess with that being the case, it really doesn't surprise me that much that they would include this, the Bible on there. But it does surprise me that they haven't given this any more thought than what they have. And you know, truth be told, I think po- probably behind all of this is a shock factor. I really believe this. I think that they did this. I think one of the biggest reasons that they put the Bible on there is for this very reason, to get people talking so that they will click on, for clickbait, quite honestly, so that they will click on their article and uh, read their article and be, you know, for for individuals who aren't Christians and are anti-Christian, that they may be led to the magazine and for Christians to click on there so that they will do things just like what I am doing right now, you know. So, you know, there may be a shock factor element to it. But obviously, as Christians, I think we need to pray for these editors. We need to pray for them, to pray that God would soften their hearts and uh, that they would have eyes that would be willing to see the truth, that they would be, they would have ears that would be willing to listen, and hearts that would be really willing to respond uh, as the Holy Spirit tries to reach them for the cause of Christ. So let's pray for them, and we just ask that you pray for us. And we thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. This has been Brian Chilton, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristie.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristie.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Who is God? What is He like? How can we know? The answers you give to these questions will have a tremendous impact on your worship, discipleship, 
apologetics, and evangelism. Faulty ideas about God are permeating both the church and the culture. It's time to get back to the basics of understanding the existence and nature of the God who is. Marking the 25th year of this annual event, Southern Evangelical Seminary's National Conference on Christian Apologetics returns to Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, with an all-star lineup of some of the finest Christian minds in the world to explore this incredibly important topic. Join us October 12th through 13th, 2018 at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Among the 65 speakers at the event include Ravi Zacharias of RZIM, Josh McDowell of Josh McDowell Ministries, Chip Ingram of Living on the Edge, Gary Habermas of Liberty University, Natasha Crane, Richard Land, and many, many more. Ticket prices before August 1st are $75 for adults, $45 for students. After August 1st, the tickets go up to $85 for adults and $55 for regular price. Save an extra 5% per ticket when you register by May 1st. Group, homeschool, Christian school, and skeptic discounts are available. Call for details by dialing 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Once again, that's 1-800-77-TRUTH, extension 201. Or go to conference.ses.edu. The 25th anniversary of the National Conference on Christian Apologetics will be October 12th and 13th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hope to see you there. Some say the best Bible translation is the one that's most literal, word for word, through and through. But there's not always a direct English translation of ancient words. So others say the best Bible translation should favor readability, thought for thought, holding on to the same meaning. But we can all agree that the very best Bible translation is one you trust and one that you want to read, one that stirs your heart and moves you to share its truth. Christian Standard Bible has been shown to be an optimal blend of accuracy and readability compared to other leading translations. The very best balance, faithfulness to the original text, and clear language that connects to the heart. After all, it's not so much about changing your Bible translation, but about seeing the Bible change your life. Point your heart to true north the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible is the official translation of bellatorchristi.com. Go pick up your translation of the CSB today.
Bitch, yeah, we got a couple rooms and that's cool Full accreditation all in this school The largest Christian university in the world This is Liberty, L.U. Watching This Is Liberty music video. Share it, retweet it to all your friends using hashtag This Is Liberty. Peace.